Welcome to the Joseph Smith Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring more than a half century's worth of devotionals and forums exploring the prophet's life and teachings. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Thank you very much, President Bateman. It is good to be with you here this morning. And Sister Fairbanks and uh, Brother Green, I appreciated that music so much. Anyone who's learned two or three chords on a guitar learns to really appreciate a classical guitarist. Thank you. I'm reminded of a statement by Aldous Dixon who said, After silence, that which comes nearest to expressing the inexpressible is music. Thank you very much. Appreciated that opening prayer by Dr. Furman. I had some difficulty deciding on what I ought to title the theme of my remarks today. I finally settled on the powerful truths that make a difference in our lives. We're all grieving today because of the senseless acts of violence that took the life of Elder McIntosh and seriously injured Elder Borden in Ufa, Russia. Reportedly, the terrible crime was committed by an individual or individuals in a drunken condition. Have you ever thought how much the world would change, how dramatically the change would be? If we just had the world living one of the truths that had been revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith more than 160 years ago, the word of wisdom. If it were to be lived by the people of the world, then most of the tragedies, in fact, is all of the tragedies, immorality and violence caused by those under the influence of alcohol or drugs would be eliminated, including those that we experience in cities and campuses around this country today as a result of binge drinking. Also, we suffer more today at the loss of Elder McIntosh's life because we understand that he is much more than just an individual. He's a part of us. He's really family. And he was on the Lord's errand serving as a missionary, like so many of our own are serving today all over the world. We share, at least in part, the grief experienced by his parents and brothers and sisters because they, too, are part of our family. How comforting it is to know that as a result of other revealed truths that we've been blessed to receive as a result of the restoration of the sealing power of the priesthood. As a result of that, the McIntosh family can anticipate a glorious reunion with their son and brother, in the world beyond the veil. We know that Elder McIntosh's spirit is yet very much alive and that his missionary efforts have merely been transferred to another zone of experience. Well now, to what I prepared to share with you this morning. In light of these sad events, I hope that for the next few minutes we will think carefully seriously and gratefully about the powerful truths that really 
make a difference in our lives. Somehow, speaking of missions, today seems appropriate. <clears throat> October 20th is quite a date. I, I hadn't remembered reading that on this date in 1803, the Senate ratified the Louisiana Purchase. Probably hadn't been top of your mind as well. Likewise, I didn't recall that it was on October 20th in 1944, during World War II, that General Douglas MacArthur, two and a half years after he said, I will return, waited ashore at Leyte in the Philippines. And since I don't keep up on such matters, I didn't remember that it was on this date in 1968 that the Greek shipping tycoon Aristotle Onassis married Jackie Kennedy. But October 20th has a very special personal significance for me because on this date, in 1948, exactly 50 years ago today, Elder Blair Thomas from the Spanish Fork, Palmyra area, and I left the mission home in Salt Lake City. We checked our suitcases and other paraphernalia and boarded a bus and made the long ride to El Paso, Texas. We crossed the Mexican border to Ciudad Juarez and then spent two full days on a train to Mexico City on our way to the Mexican mission, which at that time encompassed all of Mexico and all five Central American countries. That was the beginning of a tremendous experience. Hardly a day has passed since then, but what I've remembered something about those 31 months of life-shaping experiences as a missionary. I know there are thousands of you who are returned missionaries, and I'm confident that most of you have similar vivid memories and could even remember the exact dates you began your service. Most of you young freshmen and many of you sophomore men have not yet served a mission, hopefully every one of you will fulfill that sacred priesthood obligation. And some of you young women also, even though not ob obligated, will have that special opportunity for service come into your own lives. Your return missionaries have paid the price of time and effort to help build the kingdom, to proclaim the gospel, to strengthen the stakes of Zion, and to help in the establishment of the church. You've responded to the call from a prophet of the Lord to lay on the altar your personal offering of approximately a tithing your life, a tithing of your life up to that point. When I think of the impact that comes from serving a full-time mission, I'm reminded of an experience we had with Elder Grand Richards of the Quorum of the Twelve, who has to be one of the greatest missionaries of all time in this or any other dispensation. By the time he was 96, he no longer drove his car. As a result, whenever he came to speak at the Missionary Training Center, we had the privilege of going up to Salt Lake City to provide transportation for him. On one of those trips, we asked him a question, something like this. Elder Richards, after all the years you've lived, all the places you've been, and all the things you've done, what do you consider to be the most significant experience of your life? We thought that maybe he had mentioned some outstanding experience with the brethren in the temple or something like that. He didn't hesitate for a moment. In making his enthusiastic response was why it was my first mission to Holland. He then proceeded to share with us some of the choice and challenging experiences he had when he left home and arrived in Holland without knowing a word of Dutch. He said that even the dogs understood Dutch. 
but he didn't. But he supposed if the dogs could learn to understand Dutch, that maybe he could too, and, and that he did. In his journal, Elder Richards described some of the experiences he had at the end of that first mission, and I quote, In the evening meeting, I spoke first to give my farewell. As I walked to the pulpit and viewed the faces of the brothers and sisters, a feeling came over me that I had never had before. To think how I had preached them the word of the Lord with all the power the Lord had given me, and I had learned to love them, and they in turn placed me far above what I really am. He wrote in his journal that night, I never in my life felt happier than under the influence of the Spirit present this evening. Close quote. Before leaving his mission, Elder Richards went to the home of a woman who, with her family, had come into the church as a result of their missionary efforts. His biographer wrote this about the occasion. She was so short that she had to look way up to him. When he went to leave, tears rolled down her cheeks, and she said, Elder Richards, it was hard to see my daughter leave for Zion a few months ago, but it is much harder to see you go. He went to bid another convert goodbye, a man who stood erect in the uniform of his country. This friend got down on his knees and took the elder's hand in his, hugged and kissed it and bathed it with his tears of gratitude for the gospel the missionary had brought. Elder Richard said upon leaving him, I wept all the way from Amsterdam to Rotterdam, thinking that I might never see those friends of mine again. It was much harder to leave them than it was to leave my own family when I left on my mission. Close quote. I think many of you return missionaries can relate to those feelings, can't you? Now getting back to the uh, experience we had with Elder Grand Richards when he brought him to the missionary training center to speak a short time before he passed away. As I mentioned, he was 96 years of age and was having a variety of difficulties with his health. I suppose we all might have some difficulties with our health if we lived to the age 96. He had some heart circulation problems and he walked with a cane. Before he died, he even had a portion of one of his legs amputated and he quipped that he was glad that they had started on that end. <laughs> on that Tuesday evening, he addressed about 1,700 missionaries. He gave a stirring message, quoting missionary scriptures and sharing those lively missionary experiences to illustrate them. In a remarkable way, he held the missionaries on the edges of their seats for almost an hour. At the conclusion of the meeting, I asked Elder Richards if he would share with the missionaries what he had told us earlier, just before the devotional began, when we had asked him how he was. In his good-natured and enthusiastic way, he returned again to the pulpit and said, This is just for a little fun. I'm past 96, as you know, and when people ask me how I am, I say, Fine, if you don't want details. <laughs> if they want details, I tell them, Well, I've lost my hair. These are not my teeth. I can't see out of that eye. I can't hear out of this ear. My feet and legs don't percolate like they used to. The house I'm living in is a bit dilapidated. And then raising his clenched hand above his head, he said, But Legrand Richards is all right. And it was, 
It was electric. The whole congregation of missionaries rose spontaneously to their feet and gave this great missionary apostle a standing ovation. Well, I share the experience this morning for two reasons. One, because it was one of those interesting and unforgettable experiences at the MTC, but secondly, and more importantly, because of what I learned from the occasion. Here was a brother who knew the gospel very well and had a powerful testimony of it. He had studied it for years. Elder Richards had taken the pieces of the gospel puzzle and put them together in his speaking and writings in such a way that literally hundreds, if not thousands, have come to know and understand gospel ideas and truths, and they have become converted. He had come to the time of life, as one of the brethren described, when the warranty on our parts runs out. But with all of the physical problems within his system, he was still able to say, with enthusiasm, but LeGrand Richards is all right. He had a testimony of those powerful, life-changing and life-shaping gospel ideas and truths that missionaries share with investigators, truths that let them know who he really was. Elder Richards had come to know that our Heavenly Father is a divine and glorified personage rather than one indefinable being. He understood that he was much more than merely a creature brought into existence by God out of nothing, or ex nihilo, as we read in Latin. He was not burdened by the heavy anxiety that the Protestant theologian Paul Tillich described when he wrote, Being created out of nothing means having to return to nothing. The stigma of having originated out of nothing is impressed on every creature, and therefore man realizes that he is the prey of non-being. Close quote. In contrast, Elder Richards knew that his spirit, that which gave him life, the real Legrand Richards, was not created out of nothing, but rather was literally a spirit son of his loving Heavenly Father. He knew that his relationship with our Heavenly Father was father to son and not creator to creature or creation. As the neo-Orthodox Emil Bruner starkly described, after discussing something about the distance that exists between mortals and human beings, and hence the alienation many mortals feel from God, their creator, he wrote this, There is no greater sense of distance than that which lies in the words creator-creation. The greatest dissimilarity between two things which we can express at all, more dissimilar than light and darkness, death and life, good and evil, is that between the Creator and that which is created. Elder Richards did not accept the pervasive traditional Christian creeds, such as the Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, or Westminster Confession, that teach of a trinity consisting of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who are described as three in one and one in three, and without body, parts, or passions. He also knew well that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father in the flesh, is a separate, distinct, and glorified personage. With that knowledge came an understanding of who he was and the important purpose of his life in mortality. Further, 
Elder Richards understood something about where he was going after this mortal life. Maybe some of you know that Sister Richards had preceded him in death several years before and through those lonely months and years of being without her companionship. He knew that, subject to faithfulness, they would be reunited as husband and wife and with their children, all of them were sealed for all time and eternity by the overarching power of the priesthood. Having a testimony of these powerful truths helps all of us face whatever challenges come to us during our mortal lives. These are the truths that can change us for the better and are blessing literally millions of converts' lives around the world. Any of us who are faithful and are blessed to become aware of these truths can say with understanding and assurance, regardless of our physical problems, that we, the real we, are all right. Such are the ideas that you missionaries had the privilege of sharing with those who had never known them before. These ideas and truths are so powerful that once understood, they change us for the better forever. Years ago, I learned from a personal experience that such powerful truths continue with us. One summer, while teaching a Latter-day Saint doctrine and philosophy class at an institute of religion adjacent to a university to the north of us, as was customary, I attempted to become acquainted with the class members on the first day. One of the students introduced herself as a non-member. She's a very bright and attractive third-year student, and having a non-member in the class was stimulating to all of us. She asked a lot of questions and participated freely in class discussion. Generally, things seemed to be going along fairly well in the class. We had considered our Latter-day Saint ideas relating to the nature of God and mankind, our relationship the relationship of God to us and also from God, revelation through living prophets to man. Then three weeks before the course ended, she stopped coming. I wondered and frankly worried about what I might have unintentionally said that could have offended her in any way. We had no further contact until September when students were registering for the fall quarter. She called my office and arranged to come to visit for a few minutes. When she arrived, she said, Last summer, I registered for your course. So that I could find out more about what you Mormons believe. I'd met a return missionary from your church, and we had dated a few times. He's a medical student. And I was interested in him, and I decided I wanted to find out more about his beliefs in a setting where he was not present, and I would feel free to ask any questions I had on my mind. As it turns out, she said, all of that's behind us. We're not going together anymore, and for a while that was hard for me to take. She glanced down at her handkerchief that she had wound around her fingers and continued. I suppose you're wondering why I stopped coming to your class last summer. I nodded, and she continued. Well, on the first day that I missed class, as I was walking across campus toward the Institute building, the thought crossed my mind, what if all this is true? That thought 
I wrote in my prepared text upset me so much. She said, spooked me so badly that I decided not to go back to class again. I just dropped the course and get away from it. I returned to my own church. I joined the choir. I, I even joined the civic action program sponsored by the church. I was there every Sunday, and in between, I immersed myself in all of the activities. But in spite of all my efforts, the ideas that she had learned about the gospel, the ideas would not let me go. Is there something more that I could study about the church? She enrolled in a Book of Mormon course and also met with the missionaries. She became a member of the church because these gospel ideas and truths would not let her go. The powerful truths of the gospel stretch our minds and spirits, and after knowing and believing even some of them, our lives are changed forever. We learn about who we really are and how we relate to a loving Heavenly Father, as well as to how we relate to all that we see around us in the world. We come to know more about our Savior Jesus Christ and His coming to the earth, not merely to do His own will, but also and rather that of the Father as well. In carrying out the atonement and the Father's plan for all of us, His children. About the power of ideas, a 19th century Protestant minister by the name of Paxton wrote these words. Ideas go booming through the world louder than cannon. Thoughts are mightier than armies. Principles have achieved more victories than horsemen or chariots. Such are the, close quote, such are the ideas that all of you returned missionaries are privileged to teach during your time of service. And they came to us primarily through the instrumentality of the prophet Joseph Smith. In 1863, Brother William Fowler wrote the lyrics to the hymn, We thank thee, O God, for a prophet. And the congregation has sung that hymn in virtually every general conference, including this one, since that time. Each time I sing that hymn, I gratefully think of at least two prophets, the prophet Joseph Smith and the current president of the church. As you remember in the hymn, we sing the line, We thank thee for sending the gospel to lighten our minds with its rays. That's exactly what the restored gospel does for us. It enlightens our minds. It illuminates us. It brings us peace of mind. It brings us meaning to our everyday lives. We're indebted to that instrument in the hands of the Lord who brought these ideas to us, the prophet Joseph Smith. One cannot fully appreciate the powerful truths contained in the restored gospel without some understanding of the remarkable contribution of the prophet Joseph Smith. These influential gospel truths and principles have come to us through him. Even though he was blessed with many talents and capacities, Joseph Smith could not have accomplished what he did without divine help. One of the greatest aspects of Joseph Smith's ministry was the continuous flow of revelation that came through him to become scripture. President Stephen L. Richards, formerly a member of the First Presidency, has, wrote about, has written about the contributions of the Prophet Joseph Smith as follows. His literary labors must not be forgotten. He produced more scripture 
that is, the revealed word of God, than any other man of whom we have record. Indeed, his total scriptural productions would almost equal those of all others put together. Within the pages of the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price, which came to the world through him, are to be found such truth gems as the glory of God is intelligence. Men are that they might have joy. It is the work and glory of God to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man and a clear statement of the purpose of good and evil in the world, a philosophical problem which has baffled the scholars of all times and many other truths of inestimable value. There also came from him such memorable sayings as, It is impossible for a man to be saved in ignorance. A man is saved no faster than he gets knowledge. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life will rise with us in the resurrection. He wrote history and dissertations on many subjects and was an orator of magnetism and convincing force. The world's enlightenment of the century following his life has not disclosed a single error in his theological and philosophical pronouncements. And Brother Richards continues saying, And the society which he established is without question the peer, and many students not belonging to it maintain it is the superior of all social systems on the earth. Close quote. That he was able to accomplish all of, all of this before he turned 39 years of age continues to be amazing to me. During his short life, the Prophet Joseph Smith was forced out of three states, New York, Ohio, and Missouri, and on into Illinois, where he was finally martyred. In the process of his life, he was often a fugitive. He was harassed during those years by more than 40 lawsuits and he had the emotional and temporal concerns of a young husband and father of nine children, of whom five were buried along the way. Way back in 1823, the angel Moroni had told Joseph that his name would be had for good and evil among the nations of the earth. He certainly suffered at the hands of those who had his name for evil, but there were and are others who hold his name for good. For example, the great Russian statesman, author, and philosopher Count Leo Nikolovich Tolstoy had a very high opinion of the work of the prophet, and as indicated in this account of a conversation that occurred about a century ago with Dr. Andrew D. White, former president of Cornell University, and the foreign minister to Russia. Dr. White, said Count Tolstoy, I wish you'd tell me about your American religion. We have no state church in America, replied Dr. White. I know that. But what about your American religion? Patiently then, Dr. White explained to the Count that in America there are many religions and that each person is free to belong to the particular church in which he is interested. To this Tolstoy replied impatiently, I know all of this, but I want to know about the American religion. Catholicism originated in Rome, the Episcopal Church originated in England, the Lutheran Church in Germany, but the church to which I refer originated in America, 
and is commonly known as the Mormon Church. What can you tell me about the teachings of the Mormons? Well, said Dr. White, I, I know very little concerning them. They have an unsavory reputation. They practice polygamy and are very superstitious. Then Count Leo Tolstoy, in his honest and stern but lovable manner, rebuked the ambassador. Dr. White, he said, I am greatly surprised and disappointed that a man of your great learning and position should be so ignorant on this important subject. The Mormon people teach the American religion. Their principles teach the people not only of heaven and its attendant glories, but how to live so that their social and economic relations with each other are placed on a sound basis. If the people follow the teachings of this church, nothing can stop their progress. It will be limitless. There have been great movements that started in the past, but they have died or been modified before they reached maturity. If Mormonism is able to endure unmodified until it reaches the third and fourth generations, it is destined to become the greatest power the world has ever known. Close quote. Dr. Harold Bloom, a distinguished professor of humanities at Yale University, published the book The American Religion in 1992, as I'm sure many of you know. He included several chapters dealing with the work of Joseph Smith. And I don't agree with many of his statements, but I certainly agree with several that laud the prophet. He wrote, <clears throat> Whatever his lapses, Smith was an authentic religious genius unique in our national history. I also do not find it possible to doubt that Joseph Smith was an authentic prophet. Where in all of American history can you find his match? In proportion to his importance and his complexity, Joseph Smith remains the least studied personage of an undiminished vitality in our entire national saga. And going on, if there is already in place any authentic version of the American religion, then, as Tolstoy surmised, I'm still quoting from, from this author, it must be Mormonism whose future is as yet may prove decisive for the nation and for more than this nation alone. Close quote. Well, there are many bright individuals who are recognizing the prophet for good. We don't have time to quote from many of them, but Heike Raisanen, a Finnish theologian, commented on the prophet's work and pointed out that Joseph's teachings provide solutions for most, if not all, of the genuine problems and contradictions of the Bible with which scholars have wrestled for generations. Close quote. Well, I share the positive enthusiasm we've heard quoted so often from President Brigham Young when he said, I feel like shouting hallelujah all the time when I think that I ever knew Joseph Smith, the prophet, whom the Lord raised up and ordained and to whom he gave keys and power to build up the kingdom of God on earth and sustain it, close quote. I've tried to remember when I first came to know that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. I searched my memory and finally concluded that I can't recall 
when I didn't know that he was a prophet. I'm sure that's one of the reasons I chose to talk about him today. This knowledge seems to have always been a part of me. My testimony of the prophet is one of the most valuable possessions for which I will be eternally grateful. Over the years, I've read many accounts of apostates and non-Mormons who have written negative things about him. Still, the deep conviction continues to grow within me that Joseph Smith, in very deed, was a prophet of the Lord. I resonate to so much of what President John Taylor has written about the prophet Joseph Smith. Elder Taylor possessed great intellect and an unusual command of the English language. He also had extensive personal contact with the prophet. He wrote, I testify that I was acquainted with Joseph Smith for years. I've traveled with him. I've been with him in private and in public. I've associated with him in councils of all kinds. I've listened hundreds of times to his public teachings and his advice to his friends and associates of a more private nature. I have been at his house and seen his deportment in his family. I've seen him arraigned before the tribunals of his country and have seen him honorably acquitted and delivered from the pernicious breath of slander and the machinations and falsehoods of wicked and corrupt men. I was with him living and with him when he died, when he was murdered in Carthage jail by a ruthless mob with their faces painted. I was there and was myself wounded at that time received four rifle balls in my body. I have seen him, then under those various circumstances, and I testify before God, angels, and men, that he was a good, honorable, virtuous man, that his doctrines were good, scriptural, and wholesome, that his precepts were such as became a man of God, that his private and public character was unimpeachable, and that he lived and died as a man of God and a gentleman. This is my testimony. Later he wrote, God chose this young man. I have never met a man so intelligent as he was. Close quote. Well, about the truths that the prophet Joseph Smith taught, President Taylor has written one of my favorite quotations. Incidentally, usually when I read John Taylor, it's always good to have a dictionary somewhere close at hand. He wrote, Truth, these powerful ideas that won't let us go. Truth will stand proud and erect, unsullied and uncontaminated by the pestiferous breath of calumniating mortals, and no power can stay its progress. Close quote. And so it is that we can sing with real feeling. We thank thee for sending the gospel to lighten our minds with its rays. Thank heavens for a rational theology that enlightens us and lifts us. As missionaries, how grateful we should be for the privilege of teaching these life-shaping truths to all who would listen. Our message is powerful. It's unique. There is nothing comparable to it in all of traditional Christianity. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is growing rapidly throughout the world, including 
in countries behind the former Iron Curtain, about which we've heard so much recently in the press. Whoever would have dreamed that we would have lived long enough to see that happen. If the non-Latter-day Saint professor, Dr. Rodney Stark's predictions are correct, and the church's growth trends continue, there will be 267 million members of the church by the year 2080. You remember of the church, Dr. Stark said that we're observing an extraordinarily rare event. After a hiatus or break of 1,400 years, in our time, a new world faith seems to be stirring. Close quote. I believe that even though our numbers are relatively few today and maybe in terms of the world population will continue to be relatively few, the prediction of Count Leo Tolstoy will be realized completely. The church will literally become the greatest power this world has ever known. So it shall be. And it will be with or without you and me. But it will be a lot better with us than without us. Now, what does all this mean for all of us? Here are a few suggestions. First, I feel that we should study more about the prophet and the truths, the ideas, and ideas he has inspired to share, was inspired to share with us, because no one yet has plumbed the depths of what could be learned about his life and teachings. We should commit ourselves to thoughtful study and consideration. Secondly, we should prepare ourselves to be the knowledgeable missionaries we are expected to be, either full-time or informally throughout our entire lives. And third, and of great importance, we should accept the challenge presented by President Stephen L. Richards as follows. If any man has received in his heart the witness of the divine truth embraced in the contributions of the Prophet Joseph, I charge him to be true true to his testimony, true to the prophet, the founder, true to the cause and its duly commissioned leaders, true to the covenants he has made in holy places, and true to the brotherhood of man in the service that he renders. If any man has not received this witness, I appeal for his thoughtful, prayerful, sympathetic consideration. Close quote. President Richards uh, offered promises to those who would receive and accept the teachings of Joseph Smith, and I believe them with all my heart, and I've taken the liberty of personalizing them for you here today. I'm convinced that if we do what uh, he has suggested we do with regard to the teachings of Joseph Smith, you will be made happy. Doubt and uncertainty will leave you. Glorious purpose will come into your life. Your family ties will be sweeter. Your friendships will be dearer. Your service will be nobler. The peace of Christ will be your portion. Our life-shaping missions have given us an opportunity to teach these powerful 
ideas, and truths that can help us say with enthusiasm, along with Elder LeGrand Richards, even if we live to be 96 years of age, that we, the real we, are all right. We've taught truths that once learned will not let people go, ideas that change individuals for the better forever. As we read in Scripture, may we realize that Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more save Jesus only for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. There's no doubt in my mind, brothers and sisters, that Joseph Smith was truly a prophet and a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we know great truths about our Father in heaven and his great plan of happiness that brings supernal meaning into our lives forever. And so this morning I testify with all my heart that Joseph Smith was a prophet, that our Heavenly Father lives, he loves us, he knows every one of us by name, that Jesus is the Christ. I've never known that more surely than today, and that this is his church, and it's led by a living prophet of God in our president and prophet, Gordon B. Hinckley. Of this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Joseph Smith Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.